I want you to uh, turn to, uh, in just a moment, Genesis chapter 26. But I just want to remind you of a very powerful scripture in 2 Chronicles 16.9. I want to read this to you from several different translations. It just reminds us that uh, you know, God's not holding out on us. Uh, he's looking for somebody. Amen. And I think it's marvelous here that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't talk about, emphasize uh, a church, city, or a nation, or location. The scripture says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. If you have a notebook, if you have a pen or pencil, I want you to write that down or, or highlight in your Bible. He's looking for them. People. It is not institutions, cities, nations, townships, states, as much as it is a person that will allow God to do what he wants to do in them and through them. Now, if you've been in this church any length of time, you know that we teach you about the benefits and the promises of God. That's a pretty good place to say amen. Uh, we understand who we are as covenant people. We understand that we have tithers rights, amen, sowers promises, that we have the blessing of God, the empowerment to succeed. We have the favor of God, the opportunities and open doors. But um, what we are goes much further than just what we possess and what we can have, but what we can actually dispense. And you can't dispense what you don't actually have. You can't give what you don't have. You can't be a blessing um, if you're not blessed yourself. Now, when Jesus talked about this, and of course, Paul also you alluded to this principle, that uh, the Holy Spirit, that, that the positive of the Holy Spirit tells us that uh, all these things are real, and what Jesus said is real, that he's coming back, and that our, our hope and our future is settled forever. Um, what we have, he expects us to dispense. And, and to, to be so blessed and then not do anything with it. It's selfish, of course. But it also means that you and I are living far below the adventurous life that we're supposed to live. And we can. And I can tell you this, that uh, you are destined. God has chosen you as a people to take up this assignment. He's looking for those. His, his eyes run to and fro throughout the entire earth. What's he looking for? Someone to show himself strong on his behalf. Those whose heart is perfect towards him. That's a critical component right there. What's he looking for? He's looking for a vessel, but he's not looking for a church member. He's not looking for a religion. He's not looking for a denomination. He's not looking for a church building. He's not looking for a city. He's not looking for a physicality. He's looking for what? From Genesis to Revelation, God uses people. Now, um, if you've also been in this church any length of time, you have heard me say on, on several occasions that this third great awakening will not be a move of God of a personality on a platform. It will be a move of God in the people of God and through the people of God. Now, that's always been a seed that I believe by the Spirit of God, prophetically God has sown into us, and I believe every word of that. Will there be people that God will use prominently to train and develop and, and encourage? Sure. The, the five-fold ministry office is not going to stop because there's a move of God among the people. It's got to be direction. There's got to be leadership, correction at times when things get out of hand, whatever the case may be. But I mean this mentality of, wow, this is a great thing happening over at such and such place. Let's all gather there and watch the guy perform or gal perform whether it's a Catherine Kuhlman or Amy Simple McPherson or an Oral Roberts or a Smith Wigglesworth. Uh, let's, just, let's just hang around there and get something. Or in this case, even a contemporary example of Brownsville. And I'm not here to knock it. I'm just going to tell you, I, I was there. The authentic move of God. No one could ever tell me any different. There's absolutely no way... Um, at, at that point in my life, I'm not even looking for some stupid human trick or some weird thing going on, just the hunger of God. And I can tell you two things, the experience of God, the, the, the atmosphere, the souls, the fruit, all there, the, the humility of the, the people of God that God raised up in that revival, the impact coming back home, a prophetic word that John Kilpatrick spoke over me that was fulfilled within six months of being there. That's, that's the real deal. 
Amen. Everybody say, praise the Lord. That's the real deal. And I can sense the impact of that even to this day. But he's actually trying to, to, you know, open up the eyes of God's people and then bend them in such a direction that their paradigm about what an awakening actually is changes. You see this tonight. And so who is that who is that person? The Berean translation says, For the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over all the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. Now I understand that and write that down. Fully, what? Fully devoted to him. One translation would have it if you translated that word devoted, addicted to him. Can't live without him. Can't do without him. Can't breathe. Can't function. Can't work. Can't go to church. Can't ride down the road. Can't do anything. That's how connected or attached you are to God. That's what he's looking for. And in a moment, I'm going to give you four words and the things that we're going to be developing. It's going to take you all year to develop four different concepts? Probably, yeah. <laughs> and if we need part of 2020, you know, 22, we'll take 2022, whatever the Holy Ghost needs to get this across. But the point is, from sowing a seed where this is not going to be a move of God for the personality or even the location, so to speak, even though that will be part of it. It's a move of God in the people and through the people. And so now the season has shifted from sowing the seed of that truth. Everybody say it with me. I have it. It's in my spirit. And it's growing to the place where we now understand that we're, we're moving in the realm of expectation on this. We're moving in the realm of training and we're moving in the, in the realm of execution of this. Does that make sense? He's looking for somebody. Any volunteers out there? Now, I remember uh, during our, uh, our celebration, our vision, I talked about uh, you know, three important keys to what God's doing, his presence. What was the second one? Purity and passion. And all three of these tie back to this core concept of being fully devoted or addicted to over God is literally everything to you. He's never going to turn off the spigot of his blessings in your life. In other words, you focusing on the dispensing part is not going to dry up God giving to you. Do you see this? If anything, what's going to happen? The more you give, it's just going to keep the supply going at an even higher you know, threshold of divine. The more you the more you sow, the more you give. What's going to happen? It's a spiritual principle. We know this from the teaching on increase all last year and all this year. That, um, you know, if you're going to be a sower, you're also going to be a great reaper. But it's a mind shift on purpose. Outside, outward motivated and thinking about, you know, what can God do in me and through me? If I would just make a a few adjustments in my thinking, a few adjustments, you know, in, in my paradigm. You know, some people can't do that. They won't do that. You know, um, you know, uh, you know, Seiko, for example, uh, jumped all over the electronic watch age and uh, Texas Instrument, but the people over at, at Swiss Instruments thought nobody would ever want to look at a digital watch. Well, how do you understand? We're way past that now. And then somebody named Steve Jobs said, well, you know, one day people will be talking on their phones, telling time on their phones, you know, surfing the web on their phones, you know, and email. And, and people laughed at him until the iPhone first came out. No one's laughing anymore. I mean, it's old hat now. What happened is some people could make the jump in the paradigm, you know, their mental frame, and other people could not. You know, there are still people to this day that don't own a smartphone, phone. You are the smartest people of all. In retrospect, you, we're the dum-dums and you're the ones that are really smart. So if that's you, amen. You know, my dad uh, never turned on a computer in his life. His master's in chemistry and everything was done with a slide rule. Everything was done through calculations. That's how they did things. Same way they sent up the Apollo missions with these brilliant black ladies who actually were responsible for the trajectories and the calculations that made these missions successful. That's how they, they didn't do it with computers. They did it primarily with a slide rule and, and hand and brilliance of mine. And, uh, you know, uh, so last year these uh, Amazon, you know, Kindle fires were on sale and I got him one. And I watched him as he turned that thing on. And it was priceless. 
because I still don't think he's actually figured it out to this day. But, but that's the first time. And in that little tab, it was more power than all the Apollo missions combined in terms of technology, that little bitty thing, what you have right now. But some people, um, you know, in terms of their thinking about the things of God, they, they, can't, they can't adjust their mental frame. And it's not just people that are not born again. I'm actually talking about people who are raised in high church, that are liturgical, and they can't make the jump to the new birth. They think evangelicals are nuts or whatever. And then there are people that um, are, are born again, but they, they can't make the mental jump, you know, to the reality of the things of the Spirit. Uh, it's just too much for them. And so they're satisfied with evangelicalism. They're, they're satisfied maybe even with our worship. Do you all realize that the, the entire body of Christ has adopted our charismatic worship style? But they're not that big on letting the spirit behind the charismatic renewal move. It's just too much for them. You know, the problem with that is if you duct tape the Holy Ghost and throw them in the back room, you're not going to get to the deliverance and transformation that he brings. You can have a service, you can have a crowd, you can have lights, you can have smoke, you can have everything you think is in order that will draw a crowd. But at the end of the day, if you cut it off to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get what Jesus has assigned us to do. So that's the mental frame that some people have adopted for their lives. And I'm not saying they're going to hell, they're not. They're going to heaven and a lot of these churches are reaching people and they're getting them saved. But there comes a time where you think about your walk with God in terms of not just you being saved, but what about everybody else? You know, Noah's Ark wasn't just built for him and his family. Historians actually believe, and you look at the, the size of that thing, it, it was going to hold a lot of people, not just a bunch of animals. But nobody can force you to get in the ark. Nobody can force you to drop your mental model of what church and Christianity should actually be. You say, well, people of the Spirit, they're not that way. Yeah, they are. Because if they're not careful, they're thinking about their walk with God and the Holy Spirit in their life as, as something that happens to them instead of something that happens through them. So when we, we talk about this, it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge that model. And if, if you're wise, you'll just say, Lord, I just, I just, we're in the end times. I think about the generals, men and women who have left us. I'm telling you what, you put those people in a room, and it's a loss when you begin to think about all the people, starting back in the late 90s when Brother Osteen, you know, home to the Lord, just a sock in, in my gut for sure. And I thought, you know, this is not long life. Bill and Joe Doherty, I think, in his 50s, when he left, you talk about a man of God who turned this nation upside down and developed thousands of people out there in the ministry. Uh, our former associate pastor went to be at his church and actually traveled with him all over the world when he did meetings and, um, and used him greatly in the things of God. You know, think about those that are a little older, like Lester Sumrall and T.L. Osborne. You know, gone. Brother Hagan, gone. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Yeah. We're going to turn this nation over to people who just want to have a, a light show and a charismatic worship but not allow the things of the Spirit? Are we going to entrust the future of this nation to that paradigm? Have a better grunt than that? Uh, in other words, there's a great need for people to step in the gap and then take it to the next level. Neil Roberts, gone. Are you here? Mario Murillo, gone. You couldn't even count the miracles that man has seen in his ministry. But you know who's not gone? The spirit that empowered every one of those individuals. He's not gone anywhere. You know what's happening? The eyes of the Lord are still running to and fro throughout all the world. What? He's looking for somebody to show himself strong. I mean, you know, God says he wants to show himself strong. We're talking about the power of El Shaddai here. We're talking about El Elyon, the most, most high God. He can take anybody in this room who will get their heart perfect towards God and use you to transform this entire nation, let alone this city in this county. Say it with me, I am, I am willing. And there'll be people who can't embrace this because they'll want me to get up here for the next six months and tell them all the things that God will do for them. And if they're not hearing that, they won't want to receive it. They won't receive it. They won't feel like they're flourishing. But I'm telling you, you have received enough of that teaching. It'll last you till Jesus comes. Now, we teach it because faith comes by what? 
hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now you've got all this stuff in your life. What are we going to do with it? I, I, you know, I love the lifestyle of the, of the sower and the giver. It's, it's the most, it really is the, the funnest way that a Christian can live. Just to, to pick up on something, that there's a need or there's a heart cry. You never know when someone's been crying out to God. And you cross their path, whether it's in town or across the country, and wham, you become the answer to their prayer because you had the sensitivity. And that's one of the things, that's one of the areas we'll be dealing with to actually hear and receive that and download that and just act on that and not resist God. But get in such a habit of doing it that it blesses you far more than it blesses them. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now just take that as a, as a physical example. I'm telling you, it's a wonderful way to live that if God has given to you and, and that he, he uses you to bless somebody else, that's a wonderful thing. But you understand that what's in you is far more valuable than anything in your wallet or purse. If we're faithful with things like money and the disbursement of it at the Spirit's instruction, then, of course, we are, we're qualified, so to speak, according to Scripture, to be entrusted with, what, things that are really valuable, like the anointing. Say it with me, the burden removing. Yoke destroyed. Power of God. Um, so it's, it's gone from a seed now to where the mandate is to actually let's be instructed in this. And let's be, let's be hungry. Let's continue to believe that we receive. Come on, say it. I believe. I receive. But we are, we are containers filled with revelation and understanding. Containers filled with great things. Uh, they're not supposed to stay there. You've heard this a many times, so have I. Why is the, the Dead Sea dead? It has intake, but it has no what? Right, and so nothing, nothing dwells there. You know, we were in Florida this past week and off the coast uh, of the Gulf of Mexico uh, in you know, the west part of Florida there, there was this uh, massive algae growth. They call it red tide, and it was way out there in the Gulf. And that last storm that they had actually blew this thing in close to the Gulf Coast. And then, I can't remember the last figure, but thousands and thousands of pounds of fish every single day are dying and being washed up on the beach. And the city comes by with the trucks and they scoop it up the best they can. But, I mean, if you're not careful, every step you take, there's another fish that was killed. That's what happens when there's what? When there's toxicity or stagnation going on, wherever that body of water is. And, you know, nature will correct it, and it'll be just fine. This is something that happens. It just never happens that early in the year. The storm blew that in. There's a, there are a lot of people that are stagnant in the body of Christ. Look at somebody and say, that's not me. Come on, say, I refuse to be stagnant. You're not supposed to be a reservoir of death. You're supposed to be a reservoir of life. Amen? Have you enjoyed women's teaching on the abundant life? Amen. Living that abundant life and everything that that means. God has not called you to walk around in death or be in a reservoir of death, but God has called you to live in life and what? And be a dispenser of that life. It's not enough for you to have it. If it was that way, then God could save you and just take you out and that'd be the end of it. You do realize you're here for a reason. And some of you are miracles walking around on two feet. You wouldn't be here if it were for the hand of God. Why are you still here? Look at somebody. You're still here to be a reservoir of life for other people. So now moving into the realm from, from seed to expectation and training and execution. How many are willing? This other translation of Second Chronicles 16.9, the, the New King James Version says a, a loyal heart. Say loyal. How I many you know that it's a rarity in any form today in this world? But loyalty, fidelity to the Lord. The New American Standard, I think it's the updated version of it, says whose heart is completely his. Wow. Say it with me. My heart is completely his. You know, there's a mass of Christians that on Sunday, uh, they give their heart to God. Then by Sunday night, they take it back again. And then maybe Wednesday, they give it back to him if they actually have a service or if they actually come. And then, you know, they go like a you know, ping pong ball, a yo-yo, 
their hearts with God and it's not. We're talking about where your heart is completely his all the time. One thing he set to Caleb apart was not just him being positive about the promises of God. There's a reason why Caleb was positive and everybody else was negative except Joshua. But of the contemporaries that were under the authority of Joshua, who was under the authority of Moses, no doubt Joshua was the team leader here. Caleb was positive and was a believer of the word of God. Why? Because his heart was what? Completely devoted to God. He served God wholeheartedly. In fact, the scripture says he had a different spirit about him. People who are wholehearted have a different spirit about them, and that's why you see things happen in their lives. So it's time for, for not just a gentle suggestion, but a shove. More than a nudge, but a push. And you're looking at the nudge and the push. Not that expectation. The expectation that God has not only saved you and filled you with his spirit, but he's making you a reservoir of life. Amen. Say with me, me. I'm the reservoir of life. Glory to God. My heart is completely loyal to him. Completely his. How many you know in a, in a relationship between a husband and wife, somebody, their hearts may be completely devoted? They may not. Happens all the time. The heart can stray, and when the heart strays, the eye stray, the body strays, the life strays. But how do you understand staying in there day in and day out? This in love with God, in love with the world, in love with God, in love with the world is not going to work. In fact, the Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. It's warfare against God. The day you spent in love with the world is the day you spent in opposition to God. How could he possibly do the things through you he needs to do when you're one of his problems. That's true. Surely you don't think that God doesn't have problem children. <laughs> they're technically his, but they're pro- you're pointing at one. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> Come on, folks, somebody say, don't be a problem child. Don't be a problem child. You, you, you know, you want to be the kid that's always respectful and always there, you know, and always on time and amen, praise the Lord, what can I do, Lord? That's the kind of person that you want to be. So you've had plenty of time to find Genesis 26. And this is just a, a warm-up for you. We're going to really hit this in earnest on Sunday morning. We'll be praying and expecting God to minister to you. But um, Genesis 26. I just want to read this scripture one more time before we dive into this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is what? Perfect, loyal, completely his. Come on, say, that's me. I'm one of them. Um, let's just start in, uh, in verse 12. We've uh, talked a lot about this from time to time, but I want to read further tonight with you. Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped, what? A hundredfold because the Lord had blessed him. How many know uh, planting crops in a famine is probably not conventional wisdom? But I'm glad that God's people don't have to conform to conventional wisdom. There's godly wisdom for them. Uh, he, the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. There's the blessing. Amen? There's no question that if you walk with God, you're going to see his hand upon your life. That doesn't mean you should make that, that, uh, that status or condition an idol in your life. In fact, that's quite the opposite of what Scripture teaches. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his agenda, his purpose, his law, and all these things will be what? Added unto you as well. That is a given. If you're not walking in the fullness of what God has for you, you just hang in there. Amen. But one of the ways you can accelerate that in your life is by turning your eyes outward. There are needs all around you. There are people hurting all around you. And don't say you can't do anything about it because you have everything on the inside of you you need. You can open up your mouth at the prompting of the Holy Ghost and sound like the, the smartest person on the planet. The person for the hour. The word that needs to be spoken at that moment. Amen. A word in a sure place that changes their life just like that because you were accessible and you were ready to do so. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. It's time for the church to stop envying the world and for the world to start envying the church. Why? Because we're going to have both real riches and spiritual riches. 
They may have the one, but they won't have the other. What good is a billion dollars if you die when you're 25 pursuing it? Can I have a better amen than that? That's the, that's the legacy of the people of God. But there has to be a conscious decision to say, you know what, I'm going to enjoy what God has, but I'm also going to be his, his vessel. Um, everything you have becomes an instrument of, of stewardship, becomes an instrument of being a blessing to somebody else. And it's just a wonderful way to live. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. So, you know, there was a time where he was not. He had what he had because of his relationship with his father, but now he has something happening in his own life. Turn to somebody and say, something's about to happen in your life. Come on, say it again. Your life. Your walk with God. Not just on Abraham's coattails, but your life. The covenant you have with God. The faithfulness you have. You know, Isaac could have left, gone to what he perceived a better land for sowing, but he stayed where God told him to be. And what happened? He became so this idea that I have to make my way and I have to take care of this and go here and go there, all you need to do is just hear from God and do what he tells you to do. The personal side of this will work itself out for you and then you'll be in a position to be a blessing to others. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. You know, part of the problem with this is the, the paradigm of the body of Christ in general, the mindset, the frame of the body of Christ. When somebody gets like this, so wealthy in the body of Christ, that the Philistines, the world envies them, it's not the world that attacks them. The mindless Christians will attack the person like Isaac. Thank you for your enthusiasm over this revelation. You shouldn't be attacking somebody that God makes very wealthy. First of all, God did. That's what Jesse DePlantis tells reporters when they ask him. Blame God. He did it. <laughs> Take it up with him. You don't like it? Take it up with him. But uh, whether it's uh, you know, properties or land or wealth or increase or, or, or you know, tools and instruments of ministry, whether it's intercontinental jet or whatever it is, Christians, because their frame is so backward, they're the ones that are coming out against the Isaacs. And the Philistines are going, wow. How did this happen? God. God did it. Amen. It's probably dawning you by now that God can't do in you and through you what he wants to do if you're constantly biting on God's servants. Are you here today? It's just not going to happen. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, my, my cousin who owns a bar and a nightclub in St. Louis doesn't usually post pearls of wisdom on Facebook. <laughs> and the, the, the truth of it is, uh, he's got a great voice. And the truth of the matter is, he's, he's a God-called worship man. And my prayer is that he eventually turns that over. Uh, you probably can figure out that at some point in time, he crossed paths with Tammy. And then when he and his family, uh, his mom was Ginger. You remember me talking about Ginger? Uh, she, uh, she was mom's sister. And when I was a little boy, probably three or four years old, she told me that if I blow on her thumb, a baby would pop out. <laughs> what I didn't know was she was expecting. A few weeks later, a baby popped out. And for the longest time, I thought it was my fault because I blew on her thumb. This is the kind of family... Can I just help you out here? All families are dysfunctional. <laughs> just depends on what kind of dysfunction it is. But I was her favorite, hallelujah. And when she was facing this life and this situation and thinking about her, 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 her final plan, she called me. She said, I want you to, to take care of this. And I was honored to be a part of that and show you how strange she is and just give you context for this family. Um, when I walked into the funeral home, there were Christmas trees everywhere in the funeral home. Her family had, she loved Christmas. Loved, and I mean, I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about Hallmark on steroids, Christmas trees everywhere. They raided, amen, Balsam Hill just to have this funeral. And there it was right there. And um, the, the final song was not in the garden or any other appropriate funeral song. It was a song from the Black Eyed Peas. And they all stood up and they all started raising the roof. Can you believe this? This is this family. 
But he was quoting a conversation that Socrates and a student had one time, and somebody came to Socrates, and he said, I'm going to tell you a story about this friend of yours, and, and he stopped him right there. And he said, uh, don't say another word. And he said, I just want to ask you, uh, you know, some questions first. He said, first of all, uh, what you're about to tell me, do you know it to be true? Well, no, I just heard it. He goes, okay, so you don't know that what you're about to tell me about my friend is true. He goes, uh, what about, uh, is, it, is it something that's good? You know, is, is it, oh, absolutely not. It's the opposite of being good or, or wholesome. He goes, so you want to tell me something about my friend, and you don't know it's true, and it's definitely not good. He goes, uh, what about this third question? Uh, is, it, is, it, is it useful to me to know this? Well, no, it's absolutely not useful to you. So you want to tell me something that you don't know is true, that's not good, that doesn't benefit me. And I think you all can see right then and there the connection between that line of thinking and what Paul said. Let no unwholesome communication come out of your mouth, Ephesians 4.29. But only that which is what? Helpful or useful, good, utilitarian, that's et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's what you have to understand. There needs to be a, you know, a stopping of the mouth that's biting on the Isaacs. And you know that God could be, could be wanting to do great things in your life, but you keep on... You keep on blasting people that God has blessed. And God just wants to say, you know what? Keep your mouth off my servant. Who are you to judge another man's servant? That's my servant. Because a couple things are true. You don't know what devils they've had to fight to get where they are. You don't know what sowing they have done to get where they are. You don't know the battles that have have raised. Somebody said one time, well, I want to be, I want a ministry like Joyce Meyer. And they made the mistake of saying that to her. And she said, trust me, you don't want a ministry like Joyce Meyer. You have no idea the price that's been paid by some of these people to be those, those reservoirs. And yet you can be, but you have to understand you're not going to get there by thinking that, well, because none of these people are perfect, I have a right to chew on them. Is it true? I don't know. I mean, how many times have we passed things on? We had no idea if they were true or not. And we're Christians. How many times have we passed something on? Not only did we not, not, not know it was true, we knew it wasn't good. How many times have we passed something on that had absolutely no useful benefit to anybody that heard it? Other than to diminish the reputation of the person that's being talked about. What God showed me was to reduce that person's credibility in the eyes and ears of somebody else. To come to Karen and say something that I don't know is true or good or useful about Wilma. And that reduces her opinion of Wilma and reduces her her ability to receive. There's the damning part of this. From what she could receive because somebody thought they would just go ahead and do this. Now, this is, this is where we got to get to the place where, you know, we, we can't function like every other Tom, Dick, and Harry in the body of Christ who lives this way. To whom much is given. I said, to whom much is given, much is required. And we have been given much. Amen. I know God has been so good to us. Come on, say, God's been so good to me. Come on, shout it. God has been so good to me. So good to me. Well, it's, it's our turn. It's our turn to be God to other people. I don't mean Savior. I don't mean sovereign. I mean what? Good, blessing, kind. All the things that, you know, the believer should be. Read on with me. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with water, or with earth. Now, these are dumb people here. What do you do with a, a well? You enjoy it. <laughs> you don't stop it up. You know, there are people, just because you dug the well, they'll stop it up just because it's you. All you got to do is reject it. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful. For us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar. 
and settled there. And Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Now there's an aspect of honor here, remembrance here, and also appreciation for not just the, the literal benefit of this, the life-giving nature of this, but the goodness of God, the covenant God had with his father, and also the covenant that God has with him. I mean, this one verse we could spend the rest of the year preaching about. There's so many things that are important about what you're reading here. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there, but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. So when they came over here, what happened? They dug a well, what did they find? Water. Does that make sense? So not only did he unstop the wells, right, that were stopped up, what did he do? He continued to dig, and where he dug, what happened? Why? Because he's blessed. Look at somebody and say, we're blessed. He's blessed. Why is he hitting water? He's blessed. So they quarreled. So he named that well Isaac because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it. Now, it's obvious that if he dug another one, they weren't quarreling because there's no water in it. So by implication, he, what, dug another well as a blessed man, and guess what was there? Water, and they quarreled over that one. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. How I many you believe there is water there? And he named it Brebos, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I will bless you, and you will increase in number, and your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham, uh, the covenant with my servant Abraham. Therefore, Isaac built an altar there and called the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and his servants, what? <laughs> I mean, these were, these were well diggers, obviously. They had the anointing to dig wells. <laughs> When the blessing's on you, it doesn't matter who tried to, who tried to you, know, you know, dam up your well. Because wherever you what, wherever you, you dig, he tells you to dig, you're going to have a spring flowing. You see this here. Um, the redigging of the ancient wells, there's water still there. As a powerful remembrance. Uh, years ago, Bert Folsom over here, he taught at Murray State, taught a lesson on on the jar of manna, where you occasionally take that manna down, that imaginary jar of manna, and look at all the things that God did for you. Remember how good is how good God has been to you. Say with me, He's been good to me. Every one of these waters is a reminder of just how good God was to Abraham. Amen. Note that when he dug other wells, they hit water. The blessed always hit the spring. Always. But understand this. This is where we're headed in the next uh, several months. The key is not the physical location, but it is the connection to God. The key is not the location. It is the connection. Now, um, Jim and Jackie and others could tell you a lot more about this in, in terms of, uh, you know, this nation and things that are going on right now and praying at, uh, at uh, revival sites around the state and and I can tell you that uh, this nation has seen some amazing things. Uh, you know, from, uh, you know, from Canyon Ridge to Asbury to Concordia, St. Louis to the Welsh Revival, the Irish Revival. There was another revival that broke out near the same place that Bob Rogers from Louisville was a part of in Ireland. Just amazing things that God was doing. And it's, it's a, the ability to go and to pray at those sites and to remember. I mean, if God did it once, <laughs> he can do it again. And he's in the mood to move. How do you realize that? And so you, you go there and you, you pray and you, you remind yourself, guess what? The Holy Spirit has not changed. He's still moving. But see this by revelation tonight as phase one and not the end game. Are you all here tonight? The yeah, they unstopped the wells. But that's not all that Isaac did. That's not where it stopped. And God is, is doing that right now. He's, 
he is reminding the body of Christ of where he has been and what he has done. But I want you to understand this. We have historically, as the people of God, celebrated and even looked for a resurgence of the locations of the moves of God. Whether it's the Welsh Revival, the Irish Revival, Cane Ridge, Asbury, Concordia, or even Brownsville. Why do we do that? The reason that we celebrate that and the reason why our faith is in that is because our faith has always been on locations and personalities. As long as our faith is on locations and personalities, that's what we'll get. Notice, the people of Brownsville began to cry out to God that God would move where? Right there. And there was a visitation. How many thank God for that? Tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of people were saved, came in from all over the world and blessed other people. I mean, understand, they, that was a new well that was dug. Now, there are some implications spiritually for that part of the country, which I don't have time to get into. And you'll find that there are many examples historically where God's people um, would put their foot down and just believe God for amazing things. So understand, that's not, that's not bad, that's not negative. What I'm trying to say is, where is God going with this? What's happening? What's he up to? So historically, we've celebrated and looked for a resurgence. And a lot of people did. They left Brownsville. Well, I'm going to move a God like Brownsville. So they would try to play the Brownsville music and try to do it the Brownsville way. And a lot of them just got frustrated and disappointed. I made the mistake of saying to one pastor who was a friend of mine in an area we served one time, I said, you know what? We really can't just try to, and I didn't mean anything by it, but we can't make something happen here. But the reality is that's exactly what they were doing by, by trying to parrot and copy in reverence of the location instead of realizing what the New Testament concept of a well is. Are you here tonight? Why do we celebrate historical sight? Why? I'm not talking about appreciating and praying and expecting God to move and thanking God for what he's done and saying to your heart, you know, this is just the beginning. God's getting ready to do something that's exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask, think, or imagine according to his power that's already at work in us because that's where our faith has been. People have faith and pray for location outpourings. Until you and I get the I am the well revelation. We will continue to have faith in personalities and locations. Say it with me. I am the well revelation. Well, pastor, look, we want to be a hot spot. Listen, you're supposed to be the hot spot. You. If you go to your office, you're the well. If you go to the grocery store, you're the well. If you go to the restaurant, you're the well. Wherever you are, that's where the well is. That's why there has to be, to the sea, there has to be training and revelation and execution. Because right now, you know, people can be content to be saved and born again and content to focus on personalities and locations. And, oh, I want a ministry like old Roberts, so I want to see God move again like he did through, through Benny Hinn. And I'm going to see what God did over here with this person in this location. And God is trying to just wrap us in the noggin and say, excuse me, time out. Your faith is in locations and in personalities. I want your faith to be in what my word said. Say it, I'm the hot spot. Wherever you go, you're the well. And when you release the spring out of you, things happen and changed lives happen. Everything they need is in you. Look at somebody and tell them, you're a two-legged well. Everything they need is in you. Come on, I'm going to say it again. Everything they need is in you. We can just go here. We can just go there. If we could have just gone to Brownsville like you did. If we can go to this person's meeting, then everything would be great. You're it. There are some people who have that revelation. People like Smith Wigglesworth knew that wherever he was, that's where it was. That's what we have to understand. To, to move, the paradigm shift is away from locations, away from personalities, 
to the body of Christ. In fact, you'll see in Scripture, uh, great people of God. You can read about it yourself. You can read about Elisha as a mobile well. Wherever they went, guess what happened? Supernatural things happen. Elisha, what about Jesus as a mobile well? Huh? What about Peter as a mobile well? Temple gate, beautiful. Preaching, thousands get saved. Miracles, signs, and wonders. Not because they sat in the synagogue asking God to show up in the synagogue. Paul was a mobile well. How about Philip as a mobile well? With shrieks, the Bible said, devils came out. And God says to him, I want you to go down to this particular location. There's someone there I have for you to minister to. He tells them to leave the location. To walk out of the location with the well that you are, you're a deacon, but you're also what? A well. And here comes a man in a chariot who's reading from Isaiah, doesn't have a clue what he is reading. Everything the eunuch need or the, the you know, official needs of Candace's you know, uh, empire there, everything that he needed was in Philip. And he began to open up the word to him. And he got a revelation. He gets born again. He says, there's water. What, what hinders me from being baptized? He baptizes him. When Philip comes up, guess what happens? Gone. Supernaturally what? To another location. Because he is the well. Come on, say it. I'm the well. I'm the well. So the location becomes the training ground. The encouragement center. The empowerment center. The Revelation Center, the Prayer Center. We learn to connect and stay connected to God Center. But the wells are not supposed to be fixed to the seats. <laughs> They're supposed to be mobile, just like all of these. And in our contemporary society, Oral Roberts has a mobile well. Catherine Coleman has a mobile well. John G. Lake has a mobile well. Smith Wigglesworth. That's what? A mobile well. Modern church, throw up a sign, have a revival, hear a meeting, hang out in the location. Let's bring in the personality. No, the move is those in the ministry, the fivefold, are going to be commissioned, and they already are commissioned. And once people change that, 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 that mindset and that mental frame here, that paradigm, they're going to be excited about it. But the fivefold is going to be geared up like never before for the purposes of equipping people to be the well they've been called to be. Say, so I receive it. Just so that you see, look at somebody and say, the New Testament concept of well means the believer is the well. Go with me over to John chapter 4. I'm just going to sew this in you and then uh, dismiss with prayer tonight. John chapter 4, verse, I guess, 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is what? Deep. Now, juxtaposed here to a literal physical well that's unstopped that gives life-giving nourishment to the people that drink of it and animals that drink of it. That's where she's at. This is a, you might say, the Old Testament Abimelech mindset. Sir, the one said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Well, at least she's asking the right questions. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? Do you see this? Abraham got wells. Isaac got wells. Jacob got wells. Jesus, the mobile well, is not talking about that kind of physical location, personality-based well. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and the flocks and herds? Jesus answered. Basically, he was saying here, I don't have time to go over this with you. <laughs> I'm just going to cut right to the chase. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. It's kind of like drinking from religion, isn't it? Just makes you salty. 
But whoever drinks this water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You will drink of the well and you will become a well. (laughs) It's not the church location. It is not the personality of the leadership. It is the individual members of the body of Christ becoming the wells on two legs. That's the New Testament concept of it. And that's where God is, is, is leading us. And he's doing some things systematically. He's, he's doing some things by, by object lesson to show the body of Christ what he's up to. But you and I need to have a hunger not just for being drinkers, but dispensers. Say, I'm a drinker, but I'm also a dispenser. That shouldn't be too hard for you all to understand. Some of y'all grew up on Steve Miller. You're a smoker, you're a toker. Amen. You understand the concept. But now you're a drinker in what? A dispenser. Go to John 7. Turn to somebody and say, this is the teaching of Jesus. Jesus, theology of wells. John 7. 37. And Jackie, the strangest thing um, in, in preparing for this and praying over this in the Spirit, uh, I, I'm, I've been, not been there, but I assume there's been a lot of tongue talking, a lot of praying in the Spirit. And, and what the Spirit of God spoke to me tonight was an interpretation of some tongues that, that have been going with you, traveling with you. And that interpretation is very, very simple, that I am I'm raising up my people to be the well. They are the wells. They're the wells of this power, this influence, of this force, of this goodness, goodness of God. They're praying in the Holy Ghost and they're already interceding that everybody in this room will not go to a well. That's not the point. But be the well. Look at somebody tell them, see the well, be the well. Come on, shout it out, be the well. In John chapter 7, Verse 37, and one of my favorite scriptures. All of them are your favorites. Well, you're right about that. On the last and greatest day of the feast. Now watch this. The teacher does not stand and move around like Justin Farrell in the rabbinic tradition. When we get a new cameraman, we always need to turn that cameraman loose on Justin to get trained properly. (laughs) 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 Yes, amen. Justin has exciting stories. Why? Because he's a well. He stands and he projects. No sound system here. That alone would have taken them back. Those who were ultra-Orthodox said, this is not proper. The first time I wore jeans and a button-down shirt instead of a suit, I had people come to me and say, that's not proper. And one of them did it very, very, very coy. It was really sly, really. And uh, I had to do a funeral right after the church service. Like immediately at the funeral home, like at 1 o'clock, and I had to immediately leave the service. And they just came up to me, and I had a three-piece suit on about this time, and they told me how handsome I looked in my suit. I want to say, you manipulative little devil, you. <laughs> I know what you're actually saying. <laughs> but he was breaking protocol here. And now he's, he's speaking with a loud voice. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And what? What is he saying? I am the well. Not Abraham's wells, not Isaac's wells, you know, not Jacob's wells, no one else's wells. I am what? I am the well. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from what? Within him. And they're not supposed to just be for you. You now become like he is, a Christian, like Christ, but not the Christ. You become the living well. We have been content as a Pentecostal church to be saved and to be filled with the Spirit and to be drinking ourselves. That is not his plan and never was. We were supposed to be places where other people could come and drink. 
And what we did is we all collectively said, well, let's bring them to the house of God so they can drink from the well of whoever happens to be speaking or ministering. Yeah, I'm preaching, but y'all are looking at me right now. Because that is our heritage. That is our culture. You know what the hardest thing to change in any type of organization is? The culture. The culture is, yes, I'm technically saved, and yes, I drink, but what I'm supposed to do is now go drink some more from somebody else. And what God is saying in these end times, you know, it's not that we need to have a physical well out here unstopped, it's that the Pentecostals need to be unstopped. The human wells need to be unstopped so people can drink. They can't drink at that level when people have not received the things of the Spirit. There's a limitation to it. You see this today. Say it with me. I'm a well. He said, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who would believe in him were later to receive. So it's explicit that the, the water is, the living water is the person of whom? The Holy Spirit literally flow it in our lives. And everything in him, guess what? Everything that they need is in him. And since it's in us, and instead of just drinking all the time, we're dispensing. Amen. Jesus changed the water and the wine. He didn't go around guzzling everything. What did he do? Turned it over so it could be dispensed. That's what you and I are. We're drinkers, but we're also dispensers. Said, I'm a dispenser. Now, the danger here is the church will either glorify and focus on a location or glorify the focus on a mobile well instead of understanding that God wants them to be one too. Did you hear about what happened to So So at Hope Harbor Church? Now, God is using them. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. Let's, let's glorify that. Let's glorify. Oh, they happen to go to Hope Harbor. They happen to be used of God. You're missing the point. If, if somebody stands up and says, you know what, I am going to be an on-purpose, intentional dispenser wherever I go, and God starts using that person, yes, there are going to be stories. Everybody say it, miracles, signs, and wonders. And in temptation, isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord for so-and-so. Praise the Lord. Don't, aren't they part of that charismatic? Aren't they part of that hope arbitrage? Aren't they part of that fellowship? That's all fine and dandy, but you're missing the point. What God wants to do is turn every one of you into a force for him. And he's going to have to first do some things in us. So I want you to write these four words down. And we're going to close in prayer with this. You're going to hear it a lot. And so it's important for you to understand how, how critical each one of these is. The first word is revelation. And that means the revelation that you are the well. You. Not a pastor. Not a board member. Not a former or future revival site. You. That's what the Spirit of God is saying. That's what got me excited about, uh, you know, the, the prayer going on at the various, uh, you know, sites around the world. And it's not just happening in Kentucky. From what I can understand from brethren, it's happening all over the world. Where there have been people and great moves of God in different parts, different continents. Same thing is happening. And God's saying the same thing. This is a location-based thing, but God is wanting to do in us. And so wherever we go, can you imagine this as mobile as, the, as people are today? You know, COVID notwithstanding, and airplanes and, and moving around, how, how we could really wrap this thing up and we can just get the revelation who we are. I mean, flowing like never before. Say it with me, revelation. Now, I can say all day long, you're the well. But if you don't have any concept that you're not just a drinker, but you're also supposed to be a dispenser, you're going to have to change that mental model. If you still think that a certain personality coming in here or a certain location is the key to America's future, you've got to shift in your paradigm and get a revelation that what? You are the well. Second thing is empowerment. Not only do you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to be experiencing ongoing refillings constantly. You be being filled with the Spirit of God. So what does that mean? For someone who's baptized in the Holy Ghost 20 years ago, yeah, it, it could be there, but how do you understand? It could be very stagnant in your life. He's supposed to be flowing in your life, not just sitting there. And we'll be talking about ways of, of empowerment, not just the original initial feeling, but an ongoing empowerment, an ongoing lifestyle of endowment in your life. So that every day you walk out the door 
you actually have something to dispense. I mean, understand this stuff doesn't just sit there. It's like manna. You're not going to collect it all and then it's pulled out when you feel like it. It's got to be fresh. It's got to be on time. Your faith has to be fresh, but your, your well has to be fresh. No one wants to drink from an old stale pond. I got a pond that holds water until it leaks out. Deer come and drink from it and turtles crawl out of it. But you know what? I would never in a million years dip down with a cup and drink it. No, thank you. There are things growing in that pond haven't been discovered yet. I am not drinking out of that mess. And a lot of us are walking around town in our lives, and we're in that kind of condition. We're born again, spirit-filled. Nobody can argue that. You've experienced these things, but what's the condition? What's the quality? You know, as a swimmer all my life, you know, I learned not only just to swim in that, but going an expert of the, of the entire environment, from the air quality, ventilation systems, the, the depths, how it affects speed, you know, the timing systems, whatever. Uh, they don't always work. A lady the other day, an Olympic event, actually won an event, but the timer said she got second. I would protest that. Physically, she, everybody knows she won, but the timing system showed her a second. You know, the, the contents of the water, the makeup of the water, not just, you know, you know pH and chlorination, but the entire you know, makeup of it. What's, what's the temperature? What's the best temperature for training versus frolicking? You become aware of that. What's the condition of your well? Right now, if we did a sample of that water and sent it off for analysis spiritually, what would we find? What would it be polluted with? Would it be cloudy or clear? Life-giving or life-taking? Free of disease or filled with disease? See, I can't answer that question for you. I can tell you this. Anybody that has the guts to say, I want the revelation that I'm the well, and I'm not going to stop until God causes that thing to explode in me. That's what's happening in me. It's exploding in me, and I want it to explode in you. But also to have the guts to say, yeah, I'm born again spirit-filled, but what's the real quality if I had the water analyzed? That's good. That's good. How long has it been sitting there unstirred, unflowing? Is it fresh? Is it become salty over time? We're walking around town and somebody desperately needs a drink from what we have, but at the present, the quality of the water inside of us is not that good. And you know what? You and I, I think at times, we know the quality is not that good. That's why we don't speak up. That's why we don't lay hands on somebody. That's why we don't engage them, because we know that the power is not there because the purity of the water is not there. That's what we mean. Not just a one-time experience. 1942, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoken in tongues. Well, for me, in 1982, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoken in tongues. No. There are lots of things you can do to, to keep that thing fresh and flowing. Not just a one-time experience, but an ongoing empowerment and endowment. That's what's going to be required for you and I to be the well. Come on, said, I confess. I have the revelation. I have the revelation that I'm the well. Say it, empowerment. Third, and this is going to be a big time uh, focus here, is connection. Vital union, connection, living contact with God is where the water originates from and it flows. There are a lot of people born again, spirit-filled, but they do not stay connected to God for any length of time. And without that connection, there cannot be that flow. And how many understand it's real difficult in the middle of an emergency to suddenly get connected? Hear me very well. I'm telling you that you can be born again and spirit-filled and day-to-day -day be disconnected from your God. And that's not going to work. And that's one of the reasons why we're so thrilled with somebody else who's connected is being used of God. And we want to visit that location and we want to be a part of what that person's doing and watch what God's doing through that personality. And we're missing the point. God wants you and me to actually have our own vital union with him, unbroken in fellowship. You know, Smith Wigglesworth did this. I mean, constantly in the Word, constantly praying in the Spirit, constantly ready, ready at any moment to let somebody drink from that. And there are times when he didn't have to say anything. People just fall down in front of him and cry out in repentance. Why? Because they sensed the purity of that well. They knew what he had, they needed. Amen? I may want to get connected to God like you never had before. Not religiously, not churchgoers, you know, not just born again, spirit-filled. I mean connected. Glory to God. And the fourth area is availability. This speaks of sensitivity and it speaks 
of yielding. Say that with me, sensitivity and yielding. We're getting the revelation of the well. Say it with me, I am the well. Come on, say it like you believe it and you mean it. I am the well. I am the well of living water. I drink from it and I dispense it. And we are going to allow God to show us how to be daily endued in power. When we take a, a daily sample of that water, it comes out crystal clean. Pure. You know, I've been in some swimming pools that were so hot you couldn't, you couldn't swim a lap without practically dying in them. And you say, well, what was it, 95? No. If, if a pool is, is higher than, much higher than like 82, 83 degrees, it's very difficult to have real, real competitive swimming. Now, if it's below 70, what happens is people's hands begin to get numb, and feet begin to there's a, there's a threshold. There's a perfect place right there, that temperature. And that's, that's what you and I need to be, that, in that right place where the water condition is perfect for people to drink from. Amen. How many know we need to be hot or cold? <laughs> Amen. Jesus don't like no lukewarm. Mm -hmm. Availability. The connection point is, is critical. Say it with me. I'm connecting to him like never before. That's where you're going to hear words like discipline and devotion. What you do when you're not in church. And then learning what it means to flow in a, in a spirit of availability. Say it with me. God, I am yours to command. Say it like you mean, I am yours to command. That when you've got all this going for you and you're walking well, what good is it if we won't listen to him when he prompts us? What good is it if Philip says, I'm not going out there. Look at the revivals going on here. I'm a location-based ministry focused on location and physicality. Why would you want me to leave Samaria? Doesn't matter. I need you to go over here. And uh, he went there on his own initiative, the traditional way, but how I many you know he didn't leave that way? <laughs> People say, I'd love, I love to be translated. Really, you want to pay the price to be translated? Uh, there's a lot to that. And availability has a, a lot to say. I'm sensitive and I am yielding to the promptings of God. 2021, the year of the local church, which means the year of the well. And boldly say it, Hope Harbor's not the well. You want to know why it's the miracle capital of the world? Because all the miracles flowing out of the wells that come out of this place. That's right. That's right. Amen. Come on, give them a big hand clap if you can receive that today. <laughs> Glory to God. Come on, shout out, I'm the well. I'm the well. I'm not looking for a well. I'm not going to dig another well. I'm looking for what? Revelation that I am the well. Praise God. Hallelujah. So expect to see um, God's gracious hand on the body of Christ to cause these things to explode in us. And um, just, just be open and be teachable. Look at somebody say, don't have to be a know-it-all. Just have to be teachable. Praise God. Amen.